You're listening to The Roast of Iowa City, the podcast that takes a look at the issues affecting our Hawkeye community and beyond. I'm your host, Talon Anderson, and joining me in discussion today are student guest Matt Weimer and University of Iowa's Ambassador-in-Residence, Ron McMullen. McMullen is a former career diplomat with over 30 years of experience as a U.S. Foreign Service officer. He has served as a visiting professor at West Point Military Academy and holds the U.S. Army's Outstanding Civilian Service Medal. He received his Ph.D. in political science from the University of Iowa, where he now teaches courses in comparative and international politics. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So earlier this month, Johnson County Supervisor Rod Sullivan suggested the potential for renaming Johnson County. This was brought up because Sullivan said he recently learned the history of the namesake and he didn't like what he read. Johnson County is actually named after Richard Mentor Johnson. He's a longtime U.S. House member and the ninth vice president of the United States under President Martin Van Buren. Sullivan brought up the suggestion in a weekly newsletter in light of the movements in cities across the country to remove public monuments honoring Confederate leaders. One of the most recent uh, cities to propose the removal of these monuments includes Charlottesville. Um, that's where a violent outbreak took place uh, during a far-right protest against the removal of that statue. Um, the statue was of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Uh, over 30 people were injured and one was killed when a Nazi supporter drove his car into a crowd um, of those anti-protesters and the statue was never removed. Uh, that's not the case in Baltimore. Uh, the mayor there ordered the removal of four Confederate monuments uh, for the interest of public safety um, just after the violence that occurred in Charlottesville. Um, and those statues came down last month. Other cities taking action to remove Confederate era monuments include Austin, Texas, Durham, North Carolina, Gainesville, Florida, uh, New Orleans, Jacksonville, Boston, Nashville, Washington, D.C., and now Johnson County, Iowa, is joining that conversation. Now, the thing is, Richard Johnson was never actually a Confederate himself. He actually died uh, over a decade before the Civil War began, but there's still controversy surrounding some of the actions he took as a colonel during the War of 1812 a war in which he is credited with killing the leader of the Native American resistance, Shawnee Chief Tecumseh. Ambassador, you are an expert on diplomacy. Can you paint us a picture of what the relationship between the Native Americans and the United States looked like at that time? Yeah, the U.S. was fighting uh, against the, the British Empire. Uh, Britain had uh, not been entirely reconciled after losing the 13 colonies in our Revolutionary War. And because of uh, complaints about freedom of navigation on the high seas, we found ourselves at war with uh, Britain again. Uh, twice during the War of 1812, the United States invaded Canada, which was a, a British dominion or colony at the time. And uh, the British during the War of 1812 had gone to Native American leaders and said, if you will help us defeat the Americans, um, the future will be brighter for you. And so in the second of the U.S. invasions of Canada, a group of uh, American soldiers fought against British soldiers who were, um, had as their allies various uh, uh, fighters uh, aligned with the tribes who were uh, backed by the British. Tecumseh's death in that battle ended, I think, the last chance for uh, Native American tribes to unite together to resist American uh, conquest of of the continent. Uh, Tecumseh said individually uh, we can be picked off one by one, but if we unite and have a common front uh, against uh, America, 
then we have some chance of, of winning. So uh, when Tecumseh was killed in the Battle of the Thames, that ended the chance for uh, a united um, Native American um, front against America. If uh, Dick Johnson actually killed Tecumseh, is a matter of some historical debate. Um, probably the, mo the most commonly told story is that Johnson somehow was stunned and dehorsed, um, and as he was coming to, um, a warrior came uh, at him with a tomahawk to deliver a coup de grace. Uh, Johnson came to, pulled out a pistol, and shot this um, warrior who was about to tomahawk him. And that's kind of the conventional wisdom of how uh, Johnson shot uh, Tecumseh. So uh, was it uh, you know, an act of war? Yes. Was it an act of self-defense? Well, if you believe this story. But it's one, this legend, whether it's true or not, maybe is beside the point, it's one that Johnson made great political hay on and sort of established himself as a national character for having killed Chief Tecumseh. So now that we know some background on Richard Johnson, what is your opinion um, on whether or not Johnson County should disassociate its name from him? Um, I actually favor it, and not because... Uh, he may or may not have killed Chief Tecumseh in the War of 1812. Um, I don't hold that against him. If he was a soldier fighting another army, um, you know, so be it. Um, should we have in, been invading Canada? You know, that's in a whole other issue. Uh, but w w he was one of the worst vice presidents we've ever had. Um, and his personal uh, deportment also, I think, should eliminate him as the namesake for our county. He was from Kentucky, which was not a Confederate state, but it was a slave state. And um, as a young man, he inherited a slave named Julia Chin from his father. Julia Chin was what the old slaveocracy called an octoroon, meaning that she had one uh, African uh, grandparent uh, or, or great grandparent. She was one eighth of African descent and under uh, slave laws in Kentucky at that time that uh, was sufficient to enslave her as property. So not only did Richard Johnson inherit Julia Chin uh, from his father, but he also, quote, took her to wife um, as his common law wife. I don't know whether she uh, entered into this arrangement willingly or not, but he was quite open that uh, he couldn't legally marry her, which was illegal in Kentucky at the time. And it was illegal for people of different races to marry even in Missouri until 1965. So, uh, but he was quite open about his relationship with Julia Chin. Julia had two daughters uh, with Richard Johnson, and he acknowledged both of them. Um, when she died, um, he married or took as a common-law wife um, her niece and then another niece of hers. Um, so the fact that he was what at the time was called an amalgamationist, that he was amalgamating the races by living in a common law relationship with a, an octoroon slave and acknowledging his children with her, was something of a scandal at the time. And so when he came to be elected in the, um, uh, in the election of 1836, um, the people, the electors in the Electoral College from Virginia 
were so aghast that he was this, quote, amalgamator that they refused to vote for him in the Electoral College. While they voted for Martin Van Buren, his ticket mate, they refused to vote for him. So he didn't have a majority in the Electoral College. And under our Constitution, if no vice presidential candidate has a majority, it's decided by the Senate. So Richard Mentor Johnson is the only vice president to have been elected by the U.S. Senate, not by the Electoral College. So um, that is uh, a pretty strange background. He also was a horrible uh, vice president, didn't do anything. He took time off. He didn't think that the vice president made enough money. He was in debt. He went, took a leave of absence and went back to Kentucky to run a tavern while he was vice president. I mean, he, the, only thing, the only thing that he did that was of any positive benefit for people of the United States when he was in Congress, he helped uh, get a bill passed that decriminalized debt. Um, prior to that, if you couldn't pay your debts, um, you went to prison. You went to a debtor's prison. And so he said we shouldn't, shouldn't have debtor's prisons and we should decriminalize debt. You can declare bankruptcy or you can be fined or you know, whatever, but you shouldn't go to prison for it. So if Maybe people who founded Johnson County were so taken by that decriminalization of debt that they named the county after him. Or it could be that he just was a you know, person in the news, a person in power in D.C. There was you know, Van Buren County, etc. So let's, let's name our county after the vice president. But he was really a scurrilous person in many regards and should not be the namesake of um, you know, our modern uh, county. But changing the county name to something else uh, would, would create all kinds of confusion and uh, expense. So I don't think we should name, change the name from Johnson County to something else. But let's pick another Johnson, a worthier Johnson for 2017 or 2018 to name the county after. So if you, you know, going off that, if you could choose um, someone else to appropriate the Johnson name to, who would you choose? Um, there aren't many counties in Iowa named after women. And Lady Bird Johnson was particularly um, active in um, having uh, beautification of public roadways and parkways and things. And so um, many, many places in the United States you see um, uh, administra uh, local administrations uh, scattering uh, wildflower seeds along public uh, roads. Um, as part of um, Lady Bird Johnson's uh, legacy. And so um, for beautification and conservation, uh, Lady Bird Johnson um, might be an interesting alternative. So Matt, who would you pick? Uh, I would probably say Lyndon B. Johnson, the, the vice president of John F. Kennedy. Uh, despite the negative connotation around the Vietnam War, he instigated or started Medicaid or Medicare. He instilled the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. So in behind this whole issue of people wanting to take down monuments of people who were slave owners or have like a negative impact on history with it, he's one of the people that actually pushed the ball forward in a, like a political and government sense giving civil rights and equality a real law. Yeah, that would be a good suggestion. Um, I guess kind of going along the, the same line of choosing someone that had a little better influence, um, you know, on American history, 
specifically relating to like civil rights issues, um, I would maybe suggest uh, James Weldon Johnson. Um, he he was known for his leadership of the NAACP, uh, you know, big civil rights activist. Um, and also, it's very fitting with Iowa City because he was also um, an American author. Uh, and Iowa City is one of the UNESCO uh, cities of literature. So I think, you know, that would just be very fitting um, to what's important to Iowa City. I don't think you'll find anybody who will fight particularly hard to retain Richard Mentor Johnson as the county namesake. There may be more debate on what other Johnson is more appropriate. And if they can't agree, then we're going to be stuck with the status quo. So that brings us to another hot issue on campus, and that's free speech rights. Um, you know, that's been the argument for the preservation of many of these Confederate monuments, um, and that's always one of the arguments brought up uh, in defense of keeping the monuments. Um, also, there's ties to, like, history, and, you know, we shouldn't try to cover up history, even though it's not you know, the prettiest things that have happened in our country, um, we should still remember it. So, that, you know, that's one part of it, but also the other argument is free speech. I mean, just, like, people people are looking at all these monuments and stuff, and they're speaking out negatively against it, which, I mean, in a way, is its own free speech. And then people on the other side are being, like, put put down and their voices are being snuffed out because they're just on the opposite side of the liberal the liberal agenda i mean i'm a liberal i would i would say i'm I'm not conservative i believe that yeah uh the one about the one with robert e leash probably isn't the best because he was fighting for slavery but i mean at the same time if you're trying to take down big monuments that were built by slaves or built on the idea of slavery then why don't we just like demolish the the pyramids or any any other very large monument it was practically built on slave labor like throughout history so i mean in a sense yeah people do deserve the right to to want these things taken down but at the same time it's also history you know like it's it's a big part of history right yeah um you know free speech is something i'm a very big advocate for um you know hearing both sides of the argument but there also needs to be some sort of action after you hear both sides, you know, there's a very strong argument for taking these monuments down because of the connotations behind them and the, the history and darkness and, and things that our country was built on that were viewed as normal and, and okay procedures at the time. But now in this point in our history, we look back and we're like, hey, that's not okay. Um, we should remember it. We should remember the history, but also we need to uh, start the discussion uh, with everyone else that, hey, this is not okay now. Um, these symbols represent something that was bad in our history. Um, so as long as people know that, uh, I think it would be okay to leave them up. But also um, the symbolism of taking them down also shows that, hey, we're not going to stand for this anymore. Yeah. I mean, like, if you just completely take away the whole, the whole concept of slavery, rather than looking at it, well, I mean, you should look at it in a negative light, but... We should also glorify the work they put into building this country rather than completely taking it out of history. Because, like, eventually, if we, in, like, impend on, on free speech, we'll end up like Germany in the Holocaust where you can be put in jail for even talking about it. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a lot to think about. Um, and, and that's definitely the debate, the biggest debate around, you know, whether these monuments should be kept up or not. Um, and it's something that's just going to continue uh, as long as we live in a democracy that values free speech. 
All right, rant time. Student parking on campus is a disaster, uh, specifically the EPB lot. Um, no matter what time you get there, the lot is full, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's made me late to class three to four times this semester already, and I've gotten parking tickets because I have to park in the library and feed the meter, and it runs out before my class is over, and then I get a $20 parking ticket. The University of Iowa needs to build more student parking to accommodate the thousands of additional students that have been growing in class size over the last few years. The university is growing the student population but can't sustain the infrastructure required for that growth. This has been happening for years now. A good thing two new residence halls have opened since I've started school here. You know, I remember my freshman year, one of my good friends was stuck living in a lounge in one of the dorms because there wasn't enough dorms for the students. She lived with six people in one big open room. It was unacceptable then, and is still unacceptable, and the university continues to admit a record-setting freshman class each year. Build a student parking ramp, it's not that hard. You can use the $330,000 you saved this year by taking away our student printing credit. There's an idea for you. Boom. Roasted. Well, that concludes this episode of Roast of Iowa City. Thank you, Ambassador McMullen and Matt, for joining us in discussion today. I'm Taylor Anderson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.